It's been great having the body share. Uh, today we're having Elijah uh, share with us. You may know Elijah through uh, his prayer, mostly his prayer ministry. He's helping uh, lead the prayer uh, team, um, and he's also teaching a teacher's workshop. So he's mentoring some of the, the up-and-coming teachers at Blue Water. So let's give him a warm uh, aloha. Morning, can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Well, we are in a series of revival, about revival, and we are, we're going to talk about personal revival today. Um, we all need some revival, don't you think? Right? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, a few Sundays ago, uh, Jordan preached a sermon about disappointment with God. Uh, he, he showed us how there's a connection, there's a very strong connection between how we deal with disappointments in life. Uh, and, and faith, uh, because you need faith to press on when you're not actually sure why you're pressing on. Um, when you trust God to pull through on something and things don't go so well, uh, you know, you start, you start to doubt. That leads us to doubt, and, and we start to wonder if God is all that He says He is, and, uh, and that really affects our faith, you know. Um, so Jordan's message a couple weeks ago resonated with me because I've had my share of uh, disappointments in life, as I'm sure all of you have experienced in your own lives, but I've had my share, and what I'd like to do today is share with you uh, a, a personal testimony uh, dealing with disappointment and how the Lord led, used that to radically shift my understanding of what it means to minister in, in the love of God. Um, so, my personal testimony starts out in about 2006 or so, uh, a little about eight years ago, and I was at, I was a at a low point in my life at that time. Um, now, on the outside, everything looked fine, looked great actually. Um, I had a good job, um, I was working my way towards a promotion, I had good health, I had a good group of friends, um, I was actively involved in ministry, uh, I was serving in various church leadership roles. I was leading a small group and doing other ministry things on the side. So, act, you know, on, on the outside, acting, um, live, leading a very active life, a, a very full life. Um, but on the inside, honestly, I was a mess. Okay. Uh, I was stressed. I was frustrated uh, and disappointed with people. Uh, between work and ministry, I was overly stressed. I was working very long hours, you know, it was not unusual to have 15-day hours on long stretches of time. Uh, I was busy all the time as a result. And, and it wasn't just the hard work. I mean, I can work hard for long periods of time and, and not complain. But it was also the lack of fruit, at least from my perspective. It seemed like what I was doing didn't really matter. There wasn't a lot of results coming out of it. And in, in particular, to give you one example, I was leading a small group at the time. And um, those of you who have led small groups, I think, might be able to relate. Uh, it was really difficult to get people to commit, you know, to even come on time, to even show up uh, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> someone said, preach it. Okay. Well, <laughs> but you, you understand, right? Um, it's hard to, and it, was, it seemed like the, the purpose of the group wasn't getting fulfilled. And um, 
you know, to, to give you a snapshot of how I felt, I remember distinctly we had a meeting one night, and the purpose of that meeting was to talk about the future of the group. And I remember breaking down at that meeting and, and, and saying words to the effect of, you come every week and you drain the life out of me. Uh, looking back, that was probably too blunt. Uh, and and I, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure I was being too hard on them and myself, but that was how I felt at the time. Uh, so it was people that were disappointing me. Uh, but it wasn't just people, it was also God that I was disappointed at and a bit angry. Uh, by that time, I was in my early 30s and, you know, wanted to start a family, wanted to uh, get married, but... Um, Pretty slim pickings out there. Right? <laughs> kind of no prospects out there. Uh, working, I was working so hard that I really had little time to enjoy life and to meet people. And um, it felt, you know, very dry. And so I prayed, you know, Lord, I've, I've been waiting on you. I've been continually waiting on you and been faithful. What's going on? You know, why, Lord? Right? Why me? So I felt empty and lonely and depressed. Uh, it felt like I was neglecting myself a lot of times. Felt like I wasn't taking care of myself. So I basically was throwing myself a big pity party. You know, just a big old poor me pity party. So my solution to that was to take a break from ministry. I thought I need to step away and, um, and just give myself some chill time to recuperate. And one of the ministries I was doing at the time, and still am, uh, has to do with my workplace. Um, Basically, what happens is there's a bunch of us uh, at work who take turns writing a devotional, a daily devotional, theoretically a daily devotional, and we send it out to a list of email subscribers. Um, my day was Wednesday, so the title of my devotions every week was Wednesday's Word, and I would send these out every week. So I decided that uh, I was going to take a hiatus from doing these devotionals because they take a lot of time, you know, between work and everything else. Uh, it takes time to come up with something and write it out and send it out. So I, I thought I would take a hiatus from doing the Wednesday's words. And I want to show you the last devotional, the last Wednesday's word I sent um, out before the hiatus. Okay? And it's, it's on the screen, but read along with me if you will. Uh, you don't have to read out loud, just follow along. Uh, but the text was this this, this verse, Luke 10, 27, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so I said, you know, these words form one half of the great commandment. The other half is to love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, and we tend to fixate on the first part of the verse, uh, love your neighbor. Why? Uh, because it goes without saying that we love ourselves. Or, or does it? I've come to realize that I don't love myself as much as I thought. Sure, I try to put myself out of harm's way, and I look out for my own interests like everybody else. But that's, you know, that's part of the drive to survive. But love? What does that look like? Do I really love myself as much as God commands me to love my neighbor? I'm going to try to find out. Starting next week, Wednesday's word will go on hiatus. For how long, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm taking some time to quiet down so I can figure out the second part of Luke 10.27. I'm doing it not just for Sandy's sake, but also to be obedient to Christ. If I'm able to live out his command to love my neighbor, then I sure better figure out what it means to love myself. See you later soon, I hope. Okay. 
A little dramatic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sucking the life out of me, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I was going on break to take care of myself. And my logic was learn to love myself and then I'll be able to learn other, to love others better. Right? Makes sense, I think. So I told God, I'm going on break from ministry for six months. Now they say that if you want God to laugh, tell him your plans. And he had a good laugh. <laughs> because within two months of my six-month break, God called my family and I to plant a church in Chinatown. <laughs> so instead of being away from ministry, within two months I was knee-deep in ministry planting a church, a new church. Uh, I got the word about September by Christmas Eve uh, 2006, uh, we were up and running. First service uh, by, the, by Christmas Eve. Uh, so knee-deep in ministry, busier than ever, um, so got a good laugh. Uh, but early 2007 comes along, and my relationship with the Lord is getting better. I'm getting a little bit more health, healthy mentally and spiritually. And I, I thought maybe it's time to take up Wednesday's word again. You know, maybe it's time to, to get off that hiatus. So I asked God, is it time? Is it time yet? And he said, no, not yet. But he did give me a word. Okay? And the word was overflow. And I didn't understand what that word meant at the time, but that was the word I got. So a little later in 2007, uh, I, I'd make plans to have a vacation. Because in 2006, I was so busy between work, ministry, and planning a new church that I didn't have time to take a vacation. Uh, and it's been about two years since I had taken a real vacation. So I, I said, doggone it, 2007, I will go on vacation. Start making plans. Um, but by April, my plans start to fall apart. Uh, people that I thought I would go with on vacation uh, started you know, begging out and uh, for whatever reason. And so my plans just went kaput. And the burnout started to come again. So like, here we go again. Poor me. I'm stressed, I'm tired, I, I just want to have a little fun, and I'm not getting it. Poor, poor me. And as I commiserated with the Lord, He led me back to that verse in the devotional, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And then He helped me to see it in a completely new light. You see, love your neighbor as yourself, what I realize is is a description of the end result and not the way to get there. It's a description of what God wants to see happen, not the way you get there. This is how I used to understand the verse. I need to love myself to be able to love my neighbor. In other words, I need to take care of myself before I can love my neighbor. Uh, but, but that's exactly the kind of thinking that led me to the burnout. Um, because I, I thought I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, I thought I needed to love myself more because I, before I could love others. And so I ended up taking myself out of the game, not ministering to others in order to focus on my own needs. And my thinking wasn't entirely wrong, but it wasn't completely correct either. Uh, because you see, the, the way I used to apply the verse was that I should love my neighbor as much as I should love myself. When really... What the verse means is, I should love my neighbor as much as God loves me. Okay. My old interpretation of that verse really leads to a paradox, a logical conundrum. Um, because if I truly love myself, right, if I really love myself, I'm not going, I'm going to look out for my own interests, not those of my neighbor. 
And, um, you know, and, and you might say, well, you know, that's, what about my needs? You know, shouldn't I take care of my own needs? Someone's got to look after them. And I won't disagree with you. Yes, somebody does. We all have basic needs. But, but don't you see that as much as I'm loving myself, I'm not loving my neighbor, right? When, when love for neighbor depends on, on love for myself, then, any, then love becomes a zero-sum game. It's a fixed quantity. Okay. Uh, so let me, let me try to illustrate this with uh, the chart. Okay. <laughs> this chart represents my total supply of love. It's all the love I've got in the world for myself, for my family, my friends, pets, whatever. Okay? All my love. Uh, as you can see, it's a limited supply. Uh, so the way I used to think about the rule, to love my neighbor as myself, was that it called for a balance between loving myself and my neighbor. Equilibria, if you will. Okay? You, neighbor, equal portions. And the problem with this way of thinking is that any more love I give to my neighbor, you know, I, ha I take at my own expense. And, and it's a compromise. Uh, because, and that's not, you know, that's not truly loving my neighbor as myself. Because if I love my, myself all the way, I would save no love for my neighbor. And if I love my neighbor all the way, I would save no love for myself. It's a, it's a fixed sum. And that's why loving my neighbor as myself, you know, can't show us how to maximize love in the world. Uh, it, it can only describe the result that God wants to see. Which is that God wants both you and your neighbor Love to the max. No, no limits. Okay? God doesn't see love as a fixed quantity. And what he wants to do is increase the supply of love so that both you and your neighbor are loved completely without limit. But how do you get there? That's the problem. How do you get there? Because we don't have a limitless supply of love. You know, truthfully, we're, I think we're afraid, uh, to some degree, we're afraid to love without limits. Um, we see this even in the passage where that verse appears, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke 10, Jesus is approached by a law teacher who asks him, what must I do to eat, uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus always responds with, uh, to a question with another question, and he did that here. He says, well, what does the law say? And the law teacher says, well, it's, the law says to love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. That's a correct summary of the law. Now go and do it. Now the law teacher um, asks a follow-up question, and he says, well, who's my neighbor? What's the definition of neighbor? Uh, and, and I think what he's trying to do here is limit how much he needs to love, because if I define neighbor very narrowly, then who I need to love is also narrowed. You see, the, you see what he's trying to do there? Okay. And that's when Jesus answers the question with the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, you've heard the story. You're all familiar with it. You know, a, a man is traveling down the highway, and in those days the highways are very dangerous, and he gets ambushed by a robber. So he's lying in the road, bleeding, near death. A Levite comes by, sees him, doesn't stop, walks on by. A priest does the same thing. And finally, a Samaritan, a no-good foreigner Samaritan, people who were despised by the Jews at the time, stops, dresses his wounds, 
takes him to an inn and tells the innkeeper, look, let him stay. I'll pay for it. And if you need anything else, I'll come back and I'll pay you uh, whatever it takes. And then Jesus poses the question to the law teacher. So who was a good neighbor to the man on the road? And the teacher has really no choice but to say and stammer out, it's the one who showed mercy to the man on the road. He couldn't even, you know, he's so stunned, he can't even say the word Samaritan. How can it be that this Samaritan, this dog, is the, the neighbor? But he realizes that's the right answer. Now, what I, what's interesting about that story, I think, is that the priest and the Levite didn't stop to help. And of all people in the story, they should have been the ones to stop, right? The Levites and the, the priests are the ones whose job is to connect people to God. You know, the, the priest obviously has a role to, to connect people to God. The Levites are, uh, are trained, basically, you know, uh, they, they take care of the temple. Uh, they're, they're in charge of the rituals um, that make a way for people to, to be reconciled and to connect with the Lord. So they should know the heart of God, but they didn't act it out. Why? And, you know, we can speculate, but I'll give you a couple of reasons possibly why they, they didn't help. Could be fear for their own safety. You know, it's a dangerous road out there. They don't want to stop and also get mugged. Could be inconvenient. Uh, it could be fear that they're not good enough to help out. You know, they don't have what it takes. They might think, I, I've got more important stuff to do. I don't want to stop and, and help. Uh, they, they might think, I, I can't afford to help this man. I don't have the, the resources to help. Um, I've got my own problems. Let him take care of himself. Right? Uh, or, or even, what has, God, what has God done for me lately? You know, maybe God's been really cheap to me, so why should I help another person? God didn't look out for me. You know? and, and, and there could be many, many more excuses, but you kind of see the thought process. All these excuses flow from the sinful condition of the heart. Each excuse is really a variation of the same theme. The theme is me, me, me. It's all about me. You know, think of the reasons why we don't love others the way God teaches us to. And probably it has something to do with fear. There could be a fear of humiliation. Uh, it could be fear of the law of loss, whether it's money uh, or time. And for many of us, time is money. Uh, it could be fear of pain. We don't want to get involved because it could hurt us. Uh, we might be just uncomfortable, so fear of getting outside of our comfort zone. It could be fear of rejection. You know, what, what, if, it's, what if we try to help and, and we get turned away? That's, that's awkward. That's painful. You know, our fear makes us protect ourselves from the things we fear. And that self-protection is really a form of loving yourself. It's a form of self-centeredness. Fear can make us uh, make excuses like, I need to protect myself, or I'm, I'm not going to stop and talk to that homeless guy because I'm not sure what he'll do to me. Yeah. And it may not sound selfish to say those things, but it's certainly self-centered. Because the focus of those excuses is, again, me, me, me. What's going to happen to me? And the Bible has a word for this kind of self-centeredness, and the word is fleshliness, the flesh. 
Now, today, when we say the word flesh, we tend to think of carnal desires or pleasures like sex or drugs or, or maybe even that second piece of cheesecake. Notice I, second, I said second piece of cheesecake. The first piece of cheesecake is, is okay. That's not fleshly. Second, cheese, second piece, maybe it is. Okay. Now, but actually the word flesh um, refers to the human nature and specifically the sinful human nature. The Bible often contrasts flesh with spirit. Uh, so, for example, in, uh, in this verse, uh, Romans 8, uh, 6 to 8, it says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is Paul's letter to the church of Rome. And Paul is saying, if we make decisions based on our sinful human nature, we can't do what God tells us to do. You know, there's conflict between our spirit, our, our flesh, and, and the spirit. And we might, in our flesh, we might look at God's commands as an ideal to aspire to. Um, we may even have great admiration for the teachings of Jesus. Uh, but so long as we live by our sinful human nature, you know, we're powerless to do what God says. We're powerless. And that includes loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. So how do we get that power then? How do we get the power to, to love like God tells us to? And the answer is that we need to get rid of that fear. Um, and the way we get rid of the fear is totally the opposite of loving yourself. Instead of loving yourself, you need to die to yourself. Okay? And here's why. There's a, there's a connection between true love and dying to self. Because true love is selfless in nature. You know, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life, his own life, for his friends. Right? True sacrifice. There's a story of a wife who tells her husband, you don't love me anymore. And the husband says, what do you mean? What do you mean, honey? I, I, you know I would die for you. The wife tells the husband, yeah, you say that, but you never do it. <laughs> True love involves sacrifice. The thing about sacrifice is that it's powerful. Sacrifice unleashes the power of God's love. In our own power, we can't love like we're supposed to. We need to love with God's love. We need to be the conduits, the channels of God's love. But our selfishness, you see, clogs those channels, clogs the pipes. And so the solution is to die yourself, to consider your sinful nature, your selfish self, dead. Because how much fear does a dead person have? Nothing. You're dead. <laughs> what else can happen to you? You've heard of the phrase, you're so full of yourself, right? The trick is to empty ourselves of ourselves. When we get ourselves out of the way, the pipe gets unclogged, and God's love can flow freely into us and overflow into our neighbor. And, ah, there's that word again, overflow. That's what God was trying to teach me. Let's take a look at this picture. Okay, it's a canal that's carrying water into a harbor. So let's say that you're the canal, and your neighbor is that harbor. And the water is God's love. If that channel is free and open, 
God's love, the water, can flow into you and then overflow into your neighbor. But if that channel is clogged up with debris, with vegetation, whatever, not only does your neighbor not get loved, but you don't get loved. Okay? And in the reverse, you don't get loved, your neighbor doesn't get loved. That flow is restricted. You know, there's, and, and so what we need to do is to make sure that that canal is free. Okay? If you clear yourself of your fleshliness, the water flows, flows freely into you, overflows into your neighbor. And, and at that point, you, know, you've, you and your neighbor are loved completely. There's no compromise between the two. And we see this principle at work uh, in John 7, 38, where Jesus said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. The Holy Spirit is that living water that should be flowing in us and through us. The Holy Spirit ministers God's love. Okay? And when we die to ourselves, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, and it's like, be, it's like we become tributaries to the mighty flow of God's river of love. Okay, now, you, if you're tracking, you might say, well, that's great. That's great, Elijah. I, I, I get it. I, I, we, I need to be more selfless. So I'm, I'm fired up now. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do random acts of kindness. Uh, I'm going to be more selfless. Uh, I'm just going to be a nicer person. And you know what? You might succeed for a while if you do that in your own power. You might actually have some success. But at the end, you'll get tired, and you'll get bitter, and you'll burn out just like I did if you do it in your own power, okay? Because when you work in your own power, eventually you'll realize, you know that dying to yourself thing? Not so easy. Not that easy. Um, we, we've got a pretty strong survival instinct. And so what we need is a sustainable source of love. Now, sustainability is that buzzword in, in viral circles and uh, the green movement and energy. You know, and sustainability just means that it can keep on going. And we need a sustainable source of love, an engine of love that produce, an engine that produces love without quitting. So where can you get that? Okay. How, what we need to do is tap into that stream of living water. There's that engine, God's love. And, and because, you know, God has a never-ending supply of love. But how do you get that stream to flow? And look back at the verse. Who's got the stream of living water flowing in them? What does Jesus say about that? Whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. The belief that Jesus is talking about isn't belief in a set of facts. It's not intellectual agreement that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, believe in what I did for you. Okay? Believe in how much I sacrificed for you. Not just for humanity, but for you. Specifically for you. Believe in what Jesus did for you. It's impossible to die to yourself unless you can confidently answer this question. Who loves you? Who really loves you? If you can answer that with confidence, then you can die to yourself. Um, if you know that you can love, that, that you, you'll be loved, even if you don't act in your self-interest, you know, who can do that for you? God. God can do that. Look at what he did. Look at what God did for you. He saw you as you are, you know, a, a truer vision of you than you could ever see. He saw you 
in all your failures. He saw you in all your shame and all your sin and all your habits. He saw all of that. More muck than you can ever realize existed in you. He saw all that, and he saw your powerlessness to change. And he said, you know what? If the price for being such a screw-up is that that person will die eternally separated from me, then let me pay that price. Let me pay the consequence for that screw-up. Let me die in your place. And that's what God did. That's what he did for you. He, he gave up all his power and all his majesty so that you could be reconciled to him. The ultimate price. He loves you so much, as Jordan often says, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than have your sins be sep- separate you from him. And that's why Christians can love with a pure, selfless love. Because we believe that God loves us so much that we don't have to worry about taking care of ourselves. He's got our back. God's got our back. You know, and that frees us to love our neighbor. As God's children, we don't have to obsess over ourselves because we have a God who dotes on us. He can't wait to bless us. Romans 8.32 says this, He, God, the Father, who did not spare his own son, right? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, Jesus Christ, graciously give us all things? All things. If God was willing to die for us, then we should be confident that he'll take care of everything else in our lives. Things far less important, relatively speaking, than our eternal salvation. And, you know, and worrying about the details of life can paralyze us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. God says, let me take care of it. And so that's the lesson that God wanted me to learn, you know, to get over my pity party, to, to clear myself of my uh, drama and my self-pity and, and the lie that I need to love myself better because that's, that wasn't going to help me. What I, realized, what, I, what I realized I needed was a better understanding of how much God loved me. And so what I decided to do to pull myself out of the funk that I was in was to do something intentional to, uh, to lower myself, to die to myself. I need to beat down my self-centeredness. And I did a couple of things, but one of the things I did was around that time, um, the, the Hawaii State Bar Association, which I'm a part of, holds a dinner every year. And usually they have some kind of skit, a theme, uh, a funny skit at the beginning of the year. And around that time, 2006 or 2007, uh, American Idol was really big. Right? It had just started, right? And, and so the, the, the Bar Association decided to do a dinner that's based on the auditions for American Idol. You remember those really bad auditions? So uh, one of my coworkers asked me, recruited me to be part of the skit. So what he asked me to do was to play um, William Hung. <laughs> now, those of you who know me uh, know that this is totally out of my character. Uh, you know, I'm maybe not as introverted as Jordan, but I'm pretty up there in introversion. Uh, so this is totally out of my element. But I did it. <laughs> I sang She Bangs by Ricky Martin. Like in William Hung style, no less. Uh, I, I hope there's no video out there anymore of this. Uh, <laughs> and it was incredibly humiliating and, yes, and yet incredibly freeing. 
it actually opened up a lot of doors uh, with my coworkers. It opened up conversations, you know, conversation starter. But most of all, it just helped me to take myself less seriously. It was less of me to worry about. Um, and, and just that small act helped me to understand that it's not about me, you know. It's, it's really about dying to myself, pushing myself out of the way. And, and so I want to leave you with this. Um, if you want to be a better lover uh, and you want to experience the love of God in your life, what's one thing you can do this week to get yourself out of the way? to die to yourself. You know, what, what's one more thing you can do? What's one thing you can do this week to make sure that the, God, the, the flow of God's love can, can flow through you more freely? Uh, let me give you a couple of suggestions. There's fasting. Fasting is always a good one. Uh, fasting is basically telling your f- flesh, you're not the boss of me. You don't control me. Uh, it's intentionally weakening the flesh uh, so that uh, it's submitted to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, fasting can be about food. It's very common, but it doesn't have to be just food. It could be anything that consumes you, that occupies your attention and your appetites. You know, to submit your appetites to the Spirit. Um, it could be intentional humiliation. Ding, 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 ding. There. Um, something along those lines. But, but it's just lowering yourself to hurt your pride, to intentionally wound your pride and ego. So it gets bumped down a couple of notches, right? Um, it could be sacrifice. Um, it, it could be, oh, actually, I'm, well, anyway, it, it could be sacrifice, uh, a, a sacrificial act, like tithing, for example. You know, tithing really isn't about the money. It's really about control of money, giving over the money to, to the Lord to say, look, it's yours, it's not mine, and you can do with it whatever you will. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just money. It could be time. It could be service. It could be blessing someone with a, an act of service because it takes effort um, and, and you know, because you, you serve somebody using your time, your money, your resources, those resources can't be used for somebody else, right? That's, that's sacrifice. But the great thing is that God multiplies the blessing. Any of you who have tithed understand that principle. You can never outgive God. You know, that, that supply is limitless. So those are just a couple of suggestions. But, you know, if you want to experience God's love in your life and the, li- the lives of those around you, then take that step. You know, take that step. We, you all have game. God's blessed you with something to contribute to the body, something to bless your neighbor with. But the, the question is, is something stopping what God's given to you from coming out and blessing others? Is there an obstacle? And if there is, to some degree or, or other, we all have obstacles. Give it over to the Lord. Die to yourself. You know, when you stop trying to love yourself and, and, and believe that God loves you more than you can imagine, you're free from that fear that holds you back from loving your neighbor. And then the streams of living water can flow within you, and then God's love can flow in you and through you and then overflow into your neighbor. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we can't even begin to fathom how much you love us. That river is so broad, it's so wide, uh, it's limitless. And Lord, we want to be connected to your ocean of love. We want to be your instruments, your channels of love. So Lord Jesus, we come before you humbly. 
And we pray that you would clear up the debris, that you would clear the channels. Show us, Holy Spirit, right now, even as we pray, one thing we can do or more that will clear that obstacle. In faith, Lord, we just give you permission to turn our lives around and change us. Praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray this. Amen.